In today's show, we're talking New Orleans Pelicans with Jake Madison of the Locked On Pelicans podcast, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble, on TikTok at RedRock underscore Beeble, and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. All right. We are here now to talk Pelicans, a very intriguing team who, of course, were just smashed by injuries last season, but... We're going to talk about all the comings and goings and happenings with this Pelicans team with the host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast, Jake Madison. So we might as well bring him in right now. Jake, welcome back to the show. I'm, I'm happy to be here talking some hoops with you, man. Yeah, it's good to, good to be back. It's good to be back in the season preview swing of things because we've got a lot to talk about. And this New Orleans Pelicans team is one that had a, uh, a pretty roller coaster season last year, flying high around Christmas, number one seed in the West. And of course, not making it into the, the playoffs at all. Uh, and I guess let's just get it out of the way now. Like the reason for that is almost just it's injuries really, isn't it? Yeah, it's health. Like we could make this show so short if we really wanted to. And it's like, if they're healthy, they're good. They're going to be a borderline top four seed if they're healthy this year, right? The question is, will they be? And there's not exactly a good track record to suggest that. You know, Zion playing 29 games last season, zero the year before. Brandon Ingram's missed 62 games over the past two years too. So it goes beyond just Zion. It's your top two guys there. But if they're healthy, they're talented. Like you don't win a you don't win a championship in December, right? But still getting to first in the West shows something. Yeah, it does. And they were absolutely rolling. And I think when we go to look at what happened in this this offseason, that they were sort of that's what they were thinking. Like they didn't need to make wholesale changes that when the team was healthy, they were rolling. And there was a lot of whispers about, oh, maybe they'd trade Zion or Brandon Ingram to get pick three off the Blazers and bring Scoot Henderson in. Of course, none of that transpired. So all they did was Signed Cody Zeller. They drafted Jordan Hawkins at pick 14. They lost Josh Richardson, who's gone back to Miami, who was a deadline deal for Devontae Graham. They Billy Hernan Gomez goes back to Europe. Uh, Jackson Hayes goes to the Lakers. And Garrett Temple somehow got signed to go play in uh, in Toronto. So in terms of you know, the, the comings and goings, it's just not a big change. And I would suggest that both of those guys aren't even going to be regular rotation players every night. No, at least not yet. You know, maybe Hawkins does later in the season. You know, maybe Zeller gets in there somehow if they trade Jonas Valanciunas and try and do something at the center position. You know, and so on the surface, it looks like they, they're running it back. They're keeping yeah. all of the core guys. The core rotation is pretty much going to be almost the same as last year, except they're just hopefully going to be healthier. They're, they're trying to run it back, which I think a lot of people look at, and Pelicans fans in particular are kind of frustrated with that because the season ended on such a bad note. There isn't a track record to suggest that you should run it back, right? They absolutely, even if David Griffin denies it, kick the tires on potentially trading Zion Williamson or brandon ingram right they were in love with scoot henderson and if you wanted to get him you're going to have to include one of those guys in the deal the one there's a couple areas that they haven't 
run it back. And that's kind of the off-court stuff. Like they are revamping the player performance and care team that's been reported in a number of places, right? Aaron Nelson, who they brought over from the Phoenix Suns a couple of years ago, is out and isn't going to be in charge anymore. So they're running it back with the players on the court, but they're trying to do other things kind of behind the scenes differently to try and see if they get different results and keep people healthy. So it looks like they're running it back, but it's not exactly that, I think. Well, that's, that's a great transition to talk about injuries because Zion Williamson had a hamstring injury and what was literally the most innocuous looking thing I've ever seen on a court. It looked like he just took a step and said, oh, anyway, okay, hamstring injuries, they can be troublesome. And then he tried to come back and hurt it again and ended his season. Like He didn't play again after the start of January. There's plenty of talk and whispers about Zion's off-court um, commitment to health and fitness not even going into his other extracurricular <laughs> nocturnal activities. Um, but there were, I think there's been some positives with Zion talking in this offseason, which we haven't really seen him address for. He's like, yeah, like I had too much money and I just bought shit food and paid no attention to what I was doing in terms of health and fitness, which correct me if I'm wrong, I hadn't really seen him address those concerns, which we all thought, sort of had from the outside, but that was never acknowledged as being a problem. He was like, yeah, I need to do better with, with what I'm eating or how I'm approaching this stuff. So I guess if we're going to shine a positive light on it, that that's, that is something I think to hang your hat on. You know, if, yeah, if you're looking for the positives, it's maybe he's finally put it all together this off season. Maybe there's just been so much negativity directed towards him from media, from local fans, from other people in various places that like, it just forced him to kind of, grow up look you, you know players come into the league at 18 they're idiots i was in 18 and isn't you know I, I was an idiot at 18 i was probably an idiot at 30 and all of that too sometimes that maturity thing just takes a little bit right and he kind of admits it. he's like i had more money than i know what to do with and i could do anything in the world yeah maybe you're not going to take basketball as seriously even though you should and some players just don't treat it like the job it needs to be right when did lebron finally spend you know, a couple million dollars a year on his body to take care of him. He wasn't doing that for the first five, six, seven, eight years in the league. That comes later. And it does, from what everyone I've talked to within the organization, Zion seems more bought in this offseason than he has before. That, like, there's been some sort of epiphany where something has just clicked in him. Maybe it was the negative media attention doing all of that, whatever it might be. Maybe it's the fact that he's going to have a kid and he needs to grow up now because he's going to be in charge of someone like that you know, responsible for that. It's it's those kind of things that make me optimistic that maybe he's going to put it all together because part of the reason he didn't play again after that hamstring injury is he didn't take his rehab seriously. And this has been a problem his entire career in the NBA. You know, he came into last season looking good. That Those 29 games he played, he was dominant. He would have been an all-NBA guy. Oh, like, absolutely. we know he's capable of getting in shape in the offseason, doing it all in the offseason. You know, everything I'm saying to you, I think I said on my show last year, oh, I think he's figured it out. And then he hits some adversity in the middle of the year and it completely falls apart. Uh, falls apart. So we can be optimistic now. I'm optimistic now because otherwise it would be miserable to cover the Pelicans. The real test is going to be when he gets an injury during the season because one will happen and then what does he do after that is going to be the kind of the big question. That's like almost my number one storyline for the Pelicans going into this year is when Zion hits some adversity, how is he going to respond to it? Yeah, that's the thing is that he just hasn't responded well. Going back to like rookie season, he started the season late and then he had the hamstring injury or, or whatever the hell was going on in the bubble where he had left the, the bubble, bubble and yeah. came back and then everything. There's so many weird things that have happened throughout his career with injuries, but we can talk about 
the we're not going to dwell on that too much, but the Mariah Mills stuff. But maybe that was a shakeup where he's like, man, like this, like I'm getting shit on here. Like there's a lot happening here that's really bad in my personal life and the attention I'm getting. And hey, maybe I actually need to pull my finger out and, and focus on the things that are going to end up being important rather than. Yeah, whatever other things he was doing that was taking up some of his time outside of basketball. But you're right, you've got to have a level of optimism. I think everyone has a level of optimism, but the level of skepticism has also increased after the last couple of seasons, which is fair enough to try and balance those two. You go, oh, maybe, because we know what happens when it's there. Like, we know how good it is, but our expectation of it happening is probably dropped a little bit, but you haven't completely ruled it out. But there are two other injuries. Jose Alvarado ended the season with a, a leg fracture issue, stress fracture issue, and CJ McCollum hurt his thumb early in the year. Played through it, but then had thumb surgery. We're expecting both of those guys to be ready to go start of the season? Yeah, I think so. I think CJ will be fine. You know, he had, I don't think he had a horrible season. I think he had kind of a down year for what we were expecting and his efficiency wasn't great. That was probably the thumb. He also had a, like a newborn, right? And that keeps you up at night. And we've seen that from professional athletes at times. If you're not getting that sleep because you're busy taking care of, you know, a newborn child, you might not be playing your best. I think he's going to be fine. Jose, they're not letting him play in FIBA for Puerto Rico. He really wanted to. I think they're doing that more as a precaution than anything else. They both should be ready to go. Jose was going to play till the puzzles were like, can you not? And kind of pulled him out of there. You know, Brandon Ingram missed, what, 29 straight games last year yeah. with a toe injury too, but he's going to be playing tonight. So I think he's good to go. So they're hopefully going to be healthy at the start of the year. We're going to talk more Pelicans in a second, but today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Football season is back and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long because right now when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time that they win in the regular season. If you pick any team to win the Super Bowl, any time they get a victory during the regular season, you'll get bonus bets. Jake, the Saints, are they any chance of the Super Bowl? We got a new new quarterback here, so I'm pretty excited about that. Let's see what Derek Carr can do. And uh, Ross Jackson, a locked on Saints, really high on him. Ross Jackson, New Orleans legend. He's always, he's always, I always see you two out and about catching up with photos there. You're really pumping I the Saints. show the photos that we took on Saturday. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Every week you got you guys are meeting up, which is awesome for New Orleans and New Orleans sports fans. But if you want to bet the Saints for the Super Bowl, you get all those bonus bets and you can use them for anything spreads, money lines, player props, over unders, futures, whatever it is. You can use all those bonus bets over at Fangel. So visit fangel.com slash locked on. You start earning those bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's fangel.com slash locked on. And don't don't forget to gamble responsibly. Jake, I just, now this show's coming out in about 24 hours from when we're recording it, but also just today, before I hit record, I posted what I think is a chance to be the Pelican starting lineup, and it differs to yours. Your starting lineup projection is the same one they did last season. CJ McCollum, Herb Jones, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Jonas Valanciunas. They, Herb Jones was had a team option. They declined that turned him into a restricted free agent, signed him to an extension, $12 million a year, which is fine, which is worth it. But I be- I believe there is a distinct chance, and maybe it doesn't happen, and we'll debate this now. I think Trey Murphy should start. I think Trey Murphy was unbelievably good last season. I think limiting Trey Murphy, who has, by to me, by far a higher ceiling than Herb Jones, um, limiting him in this bench role with Zion and Ingram there is, I don't think it's the best out of this squad. And I think the drop-off between Murphy and Jones's defense is not as large as the drop-off between Trey and Herb's offense. And I just think there's more room to grow with that. Shouldn't you can say, well, without Herb in the starting lineup, there's a real defensive deficiency. Agree. I will also argue that without Trey in the starting lineup, then your shooting can become a real problem. And to me, having shooting around Zion is probably more important than having defense around Zion. You've gone with Herb there. What do you make of my arguments for it to be the other way? I mean, I agree with you. 
Like, I, I actually agree with you. I think Trey probably should be starting. But the question wasn't, should, do yeah, I think true. he should be? It's who's going to be the starting lineup. That's why uh, it's sent as it is. You know, in their head coach, Willie Green, trust Herb. He is very good defensively. There's there's a few reasons to be optimistic about Herb's offense, which I'll get to in a minute. But going, you know, the, the real question is of things that might change. It's going to be, is Herb Jones starting or is Trey Murphy going to be starting? And I think Trey has borderline all-star potential you know given the no, role on the does. team i don't see him becoming an all-star maybe not here unless they move cj or someone like that he's the third the fourth option at best right now but man that dude shooting you know and you saw him expand his game right mm -hmm. you know we know he can dunk he was in the dunk contest but if you look at him as the season went on there was a mid-range game he was attacking guys off of hard closeouts and putting the ball on the court and driving he's still growing he grew like an inch between his his what the first and second year whatever it was this is his third year i think so he has so much potential and he is a very good player if you look at him, pictures with him with the usa select team right now like he's he's yoked like he put on muscle and got stronger which is exactly what he needed to do for his body and you know when you look at the pelicans the problem was their offense last year they were a six-ranked defense and they did that with a revolving door of different players you had a backcourt of Devonte graham and cj mccullum for a long time and they were still good defensively at this point, maybe it is partially scheme and you can throw anyone in there and you can still be good defensively. Now, part of that ranking is Herb Jones, but they were 20th in half-court offense and they had no shooting. And even when Zion was playing, it was isolation-based. Give the ball to, to Zion, let him go and do his thing. Give the ball to Brandon Ingram at the end of the season, let him go and do his thing. That's not sustainable offense, right? Like that, that's not going to fly over the course of the year. For the talent they have to be 20th in the half-courts, that. Now they're bringing in a new head coach or assistant coach in James Borrego to try and revitalize the offense. Maybe that can give Herb Jones a boost. You can use him in on-ball actions, more ball screens, things like that, I think. But if you're trying to maximize your offense, you need more shooting. And it's going to be Trey Murphy, who does it on volume too, right? It's high three-point percentage, high volume. And that's what you absolutely need around Zion Williamson. I have long said that there's almost no player in the league that actually will space the court for Zion. Not when the dude shoots 75% at the rim, right? That's the equivalent of a near 50% shooter from three. You need guys that are going to make teams pay when you double Zion and triple Zion and he has to kick it out. Trace that guy, Herb isn't. I saw today, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure I saw today that there's only been three individual seasons of a player shooting 60% from two, 40% from three and 90% from the line. And one of them was Trey Murphy. One of them was Kevin Durant, and I don't remember who the third one was, but Trey went 61, he went 41, and he went 91, which are ludicrous numbers, and did it in playing 31 minutes a night. They're just crazy numbers to me, and and I do think that he can be a solid defender. Again, I, I think, I don't know, I think the money they gave Herb indicates to me that it's a solid contract, but it's not it's not starter money. Starter money is $20 million a year. They signed, now I know Herb is notoriously frugal and is also like doesn't live an extravagant lifestyle where that extra money is going to be um key for him maybe correct me if i'm wrong there so maybe he's just like yeah i just want to be on this team and help help us win and he's all about that that's true but 12 million is not starter it's not money where we you are a key key starter for us moving forward that is reserve money and that's why i tend to think okay well what we saw from trey was so important last season. And I, I think having that guy who's just absolutely knocked down outside Zion actually juices this team more than having 
a defender like Herb, especially in the playoffs, because we've seen over the last couple of years, Jake, is that it used to be defense wins championship. Well, it's not, it's not really that way anymore. It's like you got to have the you got to have the offense to to be able to expand that the game and become that good team because the good defenses all got knocked out first round basically, and it was the strong offenses that pushed through. So that was. That's a little bit of a change in the NBA. So that's why I lent towards whether the team uh, thinks my way or not. I, I don't know. But it is, a, it is a big question. Let's go to the rest of the rotation. You've got Jose Alvarado, Dyson Daniels, Najee Marshall, Trey Murphy, and Larry Nance Jr. And as you'll know, first-round pick Jordan Hawkins is not in that mix. I tend to agree with you that he probably won't be in that mix. I was not particularly impressed with him during Summer League. But if he was to enter into that rotation group, who would be the guy he would most likely replace? That's why I had trouble with this. I wanted to give you 11 guys and included them in there, but I was honoring the spirit of, of the question <laughs> that you had sent me on this. You know, and I think they're tr- going to try and figure it out. You know, I think the way it's going to go is if he's going to replace anyone, it's probably going to maybe be one of Dyson Daniels or Najee Marshall. And I kind of lean towards Dyson Daniels first. I think Dyson's going to have minutes early on they wanted him to kind of be the star of the summer league team and i thought he was fine in summer i didn't think he was like outstanding outstanding but i thought he was good you know but if he doesn't shoot well and they realize they need more shooting i could see dyson daniels being dropped if there just isn't enough offense there and they need to go with a different direction and get more shooting it's jordan hawkins you know i didn't love 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 the pick of jordan hawkins they clearly went for fit right but he has not that high of a ceiling in my opinion or some other guys that could have drafted there but if you're drafting a dude to be a shooter, if he shoots, play him, right? Like, that's all you kind of need with it. So I could see him taking, you know, minutes from Dyson Daniels or Najee Marshall. You know, I could see him maybe taking Najee's minutes and you kind of move Dyson Daniels to that Najee Marshall, like length defender kind of hustle guy, you know, try him at the three kind of thing, even though I think he's more of a point guard. So it's, it's going to be one of those two, I think. Okay, how about... I'll make the argument. What about Jose Alvarado? Obviously, really good defender. Um, but so is Dyson Daniels. But Dyson Daniels is eight inches taller. So do we need both of those guys playing in the rotation? Every night? I know Jose is huge for culture, teamwork, all that sort of stuff. But he's six foot tall and has has had some shooting. He's not, not, not a terrible shooter, but he's not a, a knockdown shooter. Not a good shooter, no. So it's- if Dyson takes that step forward and becomes a 33% three-point shooter, which is not great, but it's still it's possible, the extra eight inches to me means that you can probably you can probably get away with him taking some of the Jose minutes. So I agree with that. You know, I think that's the logical thing to do. I just don't know if Willie Green, the head coach, is going to go that direction with it. You know, um, Jose brings that kind of energy and things like that. He's also like a personal favorite of mine. So I don't want to like be like, no, he's like, I I got the game worn jersey that's supposed to be behind me here. But um, no, like you're right. We talked about the undersized backcourt a minute ago with CJ and Devontae Graham, and he's barely six foot. Like he's barely six foot, and you need to have some size. This team has also struggled rebounding at times, and Dyson Daniels is a good rebounder. Helps when you're eight inches taller and six foot seven, basically. Dyson is no way, by the way, there's no way he's six foot seven. He's absolutely massive. Like seeing him up close at Summer League, there's no way he's six seven, Dyson. He's got to be, he's got to be pushing six nine. He looked huge. I love it. He looked, like a, he looked like a center out there. He looked, he was bigger than some of the centers playing in Summer League. He was huge. 
Yeah, you know, I think so. Like, yeah, I think Jose Alvarado makes sense. I think they also trust him to kind of be like the one pure point guard on the team, which is not something they have. You know, one of the comments on the image you posted was someone was like, "You got to make Brandon Ingram the point guard, and CJ is not a point guard." They don't have one like true point guard, right? It's kind of ball handler by committee, and Jose is the closest to that kind of true point. So I wonder if they want him kind of organizing that second unit, playing that role. Dyson maybe can do that. He hasn't shown that just yet but if he takes that step forward then yeah you know it's going to be jose who gets bumped from everything talking about pure point guards it brings me on to the young players the guys age under 23 on this team which surprisingly there's only a few of them now zion just misses the cut he just turned 23 and so did trey murphy not that long ago so they're sort of just out of that zone but with dyson daniels is 20 jordan hawkins just drafted 21 there's kyra lewis who I was really high on his draft year. Hasn't panned out so far. Torn ACL, had struggles with a shot. But where are the Pelicans with him? Like, are they out on him? Like, are they just like, I don't think this is going to happen? Is the ACL just set him back? Like, he's still obviously really young as a fourth-year player being 22. Like, where where is he at? Yeah, you know, if you're looking at, like, most likely player to be traded, it's probably him right now. You know, this team's over the – into the luxury tax by $2.9 million. He's making five point something this year and if they don't want to pay the luxury tax and they're one of two teams in nba history that's never paid the luxury tax and i think they'd be willing to pay it once twice maybe i don't know if this is the year that they're like oh yeah let's spend the extra money so they're actively looking to move him right now just to kind of dump him off and get rid of his salary you know the injury the acl really did set him back when you see him play now though he still has that speed he still has the athleticism I, I was pretty high on him, and I really remember you were too, yeah, actually. And he just he hasn't lived up to that even when he's played and been healthy. True. You know, I did not see him turning that corner right before that injury that he suffered like some other you know fans maybe thought they saw from him. The potential is still there. He's still young, so he could easily grow into that player. But I think given the injury, everything else, like he's the most likely guy to get traded right now just due to the salary cap situation. Well, that, that preempts a question I was going to ask later on, but that's fine. We, we, we get to things as, as they come. Mike, EJ Liddell also now on a full-time contract. He missed all of last season. He was another guy that had some really good numbers at Ohio State. Was on a two-way as a, after he tore his ACL in Summer League last year. Now he's on that roster. He's probably not going to factor into stuff, but in terms of guys who can be backup forwards, if they do end up moving on from like a Najee Marshall, maybe he moves into that role. He's, someone's at least watching his first NBA action, but what I do want to ask the question now of you is, we talk about, oh, is it Herb? Is it Trey? The easy way to get those guys on the court together is by booting Jonas Valanciunas out and just playing Zion at center. Will, does Willie Green have an appetite for it? I don't uh, It'd be nice. Uh, and that is the easiest fix to all that. I just don't think they're there yet with him, right? Like that's kind of the problem. Um, it sounds great in theory, but he's not a five. Like he's no, most no. definitely a four. Like that's what it is. So they have struggled to close. So you got to do that to close games, especially, right? Like your, your crunch time five, like Zion, can Zion play the five? They were one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in clutch situations last year. They gave up a lot of offensive boards, a lot of second chance points. It actually basically cost them more or less the playoffs in that game against the Minnesota Timberwolves, the second one from the last one at the end of the year. 
because they were just giving up too many offensive rebounds because they they don't play Valanciunas to close games. They play Larry Nance Jr. And I love Larry Nance Jr. too, but he's an undersized small ball five. It's just not going to work with Zion. I think they would get killed in crunch time if they do that, unless you're completely overpowering teams with offense, which in theory they should be doing, but they don't. So until they show that they can just light it up with like a small ball death style lineup, you know, I don't think that that's the move to go yet. And I don't think you're going to see Willie Green, who's kind of a conservative head coach, go do something like that. You brought up Larry Nance, and it's something that I do want to talk about because last season when Zion was healthy, Nance played more minutes than Valanciunas, and they loved the pairing, even though we didn't start. But basically, Nance would be sort of tied to Zion outside of the starting group, and he would close those games, and he would play those minutes because he fits really well next to Zion, and that limited what Jonas Valanciunas could do, and he really struggled until towards the end of the season when there were other injuries and Zion was out, and they started to lean more on Valanciunas. Talking about Willie Green's conservatism and his, I guess, it's not even stubbornness, but it's a little bit stubbornness. I'm expecting, a bit, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm expecting the same with Valanciunas, honestly. And if, so if Zion plays 60 games, you're going to see even less of Valanciunas this season would be my guess. Is that how you read it? Yeah. And I mean, that's why I think you've heard his name in trade talks. That's why they've been looking for another center. You know, it just simply comes down to like resource management, like percent of the salary cap, right? He's making $15 million. If you don't close with him, why are you paying a starting center $15 million? Mm -hmm. And I argued that they should just do it on the cheap this season. Sign, sign a guy to play 10 minutes in the first half, 10 minutes in the second half as your spot starter, pay him $5 million a year, take that $10 million and put it elsewhere into your roster or just don't pay the luxury tax, one of those. So that's why you're hearing them be very active for centers, right? They called about Miles Turner. They've called about Jared Allen. They've called about others that they want to try and bring in that they just think fit a little bit better. They need to kind of find that, that person to play the five, to play the center position, to close games that, you know, is a unicorn kind of player. One of the reasons they didn't play Valanciunas is he can't defend on the perimeter and they kind of just switch everything with their defensive scheme and try and not let you get into the paint in the first place. And you put him out there in pick and roll situations. Yeah, he's unfortunately a liability when it comes to that. And at least Larry Nance Jr. can defend like that. But then the flip side of that is Larry doesn't rebound as well as Jonas does. So how do you find that perfect Brooke Lopez-like center that doesn't really exist in the NBA, you know, in, in, in multitudes here. So yeah, that's why they're looking to move Valanciunas on and expect Larry Nance Jr. to close games and arguably get as many minutes per game, even if he's not the starter. I think they should be looking at some, if they can't get Miles Turner, who'd be absolutely perfect and they're not going to get him. I, I think they should look at his uh, backup. I think Isaiah Jackson would be someone just to try out. Um, he's got a workable shot. He's a great rim protector. He fouls a lot, but he needs to play 23, 24 minutes. And I think he'd fit actually a lot better than Valanciunas. We'll see whether they do anything like that. But he's that sort of archetypical guy that would fit, I think, really well next to Zion. We'll see. We'll see what they end up doing. Now, that brings us to a shakeup. We heard these rumors, which we'd never really heard before, about you know, Ingram being dealt or Zion being dealt and attacking and trying to get Scoot. And it didn't didn't come up. But if, they, if there's another situation where Zion gets hurt again or they struggle out of the gates, is there any real sort of blow up or big change of direction uh, opportunity or potential in this team? Yeah, look, I, I think so. You know, if you're talking like a big shakeup being one of Brandon Ingram, Zion, maybe to a lesser degree, CJ McCollum, I guess, just because he's a big name and guy that makes a lot of money. Like, I think there's potential. They're, they're running it back and they're going to go with this group. And if they don't stay healthy again this year, you know, when we when we look at the new collective bargaining agreement, right, like every team in the league 
if you're paying close to the luxury tax, whether you're good or not, you've got a shelf life of two, three years before just the repeater taxes and the restrictions just mean you have to tear down the team, right? Like the Boston Celtics are very much on the clock right now um, with that Brown extension and what they're going to have to pay Tatum this coming season. So I think the Pelicans might try and get out ahead of that as I think they kind of tried to do this summer. They're, they're not in a great spot when it comes to the salary cap. So I think they looked at maybe we don't have to deal with all of the Zion stuff right now. We get Scoot Anderson on this cheap rookie deal. They were in love with him too. Like they loved him as a player. They were very, very high on him, you know, and said, okay, not only do we get a player we like, a guy that's all bought in, but we also reset our salary cap situation and we're going to be kind of coming into our own when all of these other teams are selling things off. So I definitely think that if it doesn't go this go well this year, you're going to see massive shakeups next off season with this team or potentially even at the trade deadline if, you know, they look terrible already or something like that. Who's a breakout candidate on this team? Does Trey Murphy count? Yeah, that's, I think I feel like he broke out last season, but no one, no one really realizes it. So, I, yeah, I guess so because he could. Yeah, like, he, it's that right. Yeah, like, fourteen and a half points. Like he, so everyone asked me, or all the Pelicans fans, I should say, asked me like, could he win like Most Improved Six Man of the Year? And I'm like, he won't because you know he won't win Most Improved unless he's starting and playing a significant role and getting like a high usage rate, right? Like he might go from fourteen and a half points to eighteen and a half points as a starter, something like that, like. But you're going to see the the volume shooting and kind of his game looks like it's just, I feel like, going to pop more off of the screen to people than it has in the past. And then if there is an injury, right, or, you know, who knows, maybe they get crazy and put CJ McCollum with the bench and have him try and be a six-man or something like that, which I don't think is going to happen. But if you do that and you free up more, you know, usage for Trey Murphy, like, the dude can easily score over 20 points per game, in my opinion, with the right kind of role. So, he broke out last year and he's good just given his role, like how much more is he going to have? But if it's not him, it's probably going to be, I think a guy like Dyson Daniels, Yeah, you know, is probably what it would be if you're looking for the guy to kind of fit that bill. If he's, he takes a step forward with his shooting or simply uses his size, which is what he did in summer league, right? The shot wasn't falling, but he was like, Oh, I'm bigger. I'm stronger than basically anyone else that I'm playing. I'm just going to drive and get to the rim and score that way. His defense is phenomenal. He's an amazing transition defender, especially when you kind of combine all of that. I think people are going to, take note of him if he puts it together enough offensively this year what about a regression candidate i've got two names who are standing out to me who do you think is the most likely guy to take a sizable step back it's got to be cj you know he's 31 it just feels like he's older than that the injuries this past year you know giving him that extension was a little bit risky he did have a down year you know if he gets banged up again does he have the right kind of role too is he the third guy the fourth guy depending it just feels like it could be that as painful as that is to say yeah, I, th- I think it's him too. We've seen big drop-offs in his free throw percentage weirdly over the last two seasons. He went from being like mm-hmm. a 77 guy to 68. And then he was at 77 last year from the line, but also 72 over the final 25 games. Um, the three-point shooting's fine. Like, it's not awesome. It's 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 good, but it, it's fine. Okay, it's, yeah, I think you said he feels older than that. He's, he is about to turn 32, so he is older than 31. He's almost he's almost at 32, so we're hitting that stage where decline and big declines are distinctly possible. And yeah, multiple injuries, I think he's going to be, you know, if Zion plays more than 30 games, if Zion plays 50 games, 60 games, CJ's not going to be attempting 24 or 20 shots a game or 18 shots a game, whatever. He's just not. Like he's going to be the third option and maybe the fourth, depending on where Trey Murphy fits into that mix. I think that he has to be that guy. You've already answered this one, but the most likely player to be traded, you think, is Kyra Lewis? 
Yeah, who's your other regression guy, by the way? Uh, Valanciunas. Just again, yeah, okay. he's he's thirty one too. Like we already mm-hmm. saw big steps back last season. His overall season numbers ended up being bolstered by the final ten games or so, where they just changed their mind about how they're going to play him and started giving him more opportunities. But I, I think that again, if we have more full seasons from Zion and Ingram, then he's just really going to be marginalised. And if he loses any sort of step in terms of ability to grab rebounds or just anything, then it's it could be a, a quick decline. Yeah, that makes sense. So Corey Lewis is the most likely to be traded. I find it really hard to disagree uh, with that one. Now let's talk over-unders. FanDuel Sportsbook, lovely, lovely blokes there. They've got the over-under set at 44.5 wins. Last season, this team was 42-42. and 42. They had the 10th best net rating in the NBA at plus 1.8. That 44 and a half seems like just it should be simple to hit. Like, I don't think it could have been worse injury wise with how much time Ingram missed, how much time Zion missed, um, CJ's busted thumb. Look, he might regress, but like that's three wins extra. And we both have predicted 47 wins for this team. Uh, to me, them getting past that 42, sh- I, look, I don't see how they, I don't see how they don't. It's when I've looked at the FanDuel odds, also, they, they were 42 and 40. They played 84 games last year. They were 42 and 40. You're right, because my, I can't count. You, you're right there. We're 42 and 40. <laughs> Jesus. Was that mean to bring up on your no, show? No, here no, that's I'm perfect. <laughs> no, absolutely. Call, call me a dickhead. It's great. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, that's what it is. Um, so, sorry. It's like now I'm never going to come back on your show here. So I, I, I welcome it, mate. Like I, I will okay, hap- I'll happily admit stupidity. I do it all the time. So I think when you look at their odds, the the pricing on them for a lot of things is just Vegas doesn't believe in them with the health, right? Yeah. More, more should Vegas necessarily. But if they're healthy, I think they can be a top four seed in the West. So kind of when I was looking at some of the numbers here with this, it's 47, I think would have put them fourth in the West last season. That sounds right to me. Like that sounds right. If they're healthy, I don't think they're the one, two seed. I think they could be three or four. Like I think they could get home court advantage in the first round. There's enough talent there. And if you buy into what they're doing offensively, bringing in Borrego to kind of completely revamp the offense, like everything says this team should be good. And it's all going to hinge on whether they're healthy or not. Like if, if they are healthy and they're not good, I will be stunned. And everyone with this team should be fired. And I will be screaming that from my show. I, I just don't envision it. When Howard Beck came on Locked on Pelicans to talk about it with me, again, like it could have been a five-minute show. Everything's good if Zion and Brandon Ingram are healthy and that's, that's the show. We'll see you all next time. It's, it's 100% right. Now, I've, I've got them as at 47, same as you, which in terms of how my total win projections go, has them tied for the fifth seed, which I think is about right. You said 48 was the Kings at the three last year. We had the Clippers at 40. Was the Suns at 45 with the four seed, and then the Clippers and the Warriors at 44. I expect the West to be stronger this season, so I expect the win totals to push up, but they, they should be here. Again, it would be if, if they're healthy, it's a massive failure if they don't pass that 42 and 40 record that they had last season and be able to push into this zone. So it is exciting times, but it's also fraught with a bit of like, oh, what if it doesn't happen? Then where do we go? Because it feels a little bit like we're on a, a precipice with where this team goes from here. Yeah, it's look, this is this is the make or break year, right? Yep. Like if it doesn't work, like you can't run it back again. You have to make wholesale changes. And at that point, it's going to be with the players because they're doing the behind the scenes stuff as we talked about earlier, right? They sunk in, I think, like $15 million in the practice facility renovations and things like that. Like they're out of excuses when it comes to not being good, basically. No, 100%. And now 
it's time for us to do a little bit of fun. It's time for us to drop a gritty, Jake, because we're doing a Pelicans-style grid game. We've got the teams there, the Kings, the Nuggets, the Pacers, the Pistons, the Wizards, and then an All-Star. So because we can't do rarity scores, because it's just you playing, the way that we are scoring this is the I've got all the players who played for these teams and then picked, you know, look at how many games they played for each squad and chose the lower, the lower number. So if a player played for both teams and they played 100 for one team and 40 for the other, I give them that 40. And then I rank that 40 based on everyone else's lowest games played and you get a score that way. So if someone plays 100 games for one team and one for the other, then you get that score of one, which is then converted to a percentage based on the other numbers. So we're looking for players who have played... Few, the rarity is in guys that have played handful of games for one of the other team and then when you get to the all-star it's who played the fewest games for the pelicans and was also named an all-star while a member of the pelicans got it yeah that works for me here you've now, got some good ones i think here now we've only got you can only choose a player once you can only um yeah if you get it wrong you get you get a max score of 100 in that grid so where do you want to start uh, let's do, let's do Tyreek Evans for the Kings here and just get that one. I, th- I really wanted to go with DeMarcus Cousins, but that's too popular. That is, that is popular. Let's have a look what Tyreek Evans scores or, or I'm sorry to tell you, Jake, that is, that is a very high score. In fact, yeah, I know if you had have gone to Marcus Cousins, it would have been a way better score because Tyreek has actually played. Henry Caspi might've been better actually for that one. That is a very big score. Tyreek 92.2. Cause he played the <laughs> second. He had the second highest, the highest in that, in that column was Pedro Stajakovich actually, who played five eighteen for Sacramento oh, yeah, that makes sense. and two nineteen for the Pelicans. So Tyreek got over 200 with both teams. So shaky start. Let's see where we go from here. Yeah, not really doing well here, I guess, when it comes to that. Um, for the Pistons, let's do Frank Jackson. Oh, now that's a good one, I think. Frankie, well, actually, it's Frank Jackson, one, yeah. he, he played more games than I thought. Oh, okay. Well, you are, well, this is actually, that's not great. <laughs> this is actually unbelievable, the Pistons. You are going to be absolutely kicking yourself. Did you know that Frank Jackson, <laughs> you, you don't know this, but Frank Jackson was the most, the highest score possible. Frank Jackson played really? 100, 100, 120 games for the Pelicans and 93 for the Pistons. Every other player out of the 16 players that played for both franchises had played a smaller amount of games for one of their teams. He had he was able to get to... 93 was the highest minimum that anyone had, which is actually amazing to me. So there's just hardly any crossover at all. You should have gone with uh, Stanley Johnson if you're going to go for random Pistons. Yeah, that would have been a good one. That would have been a good one. Wow, I cannot believe that Frank Jackson's the highest, I, highest I'm minimum. Literally stunned, stunned by that. Actually, I should get like bonus points for how That's, hard it would have been to guess that one. Literally, if I had, no one would have guessed that he had the highest, highest score. No. There. All right, where are we where going are now? Frank here. That's crazy. Um, right, let's do the Wizards. I got, I got to like reach deep into the bag here. Um, Alize Johnson, did he actually play for a game? For he was on the Wizards. Did he play for him? Alize Johnson, well, you have totally, I don't know how you could be so foolish and then come out and totally redeem yourself. He is the lowest score possible. He played four games for the Pelicans and three games for the Wizards. That's, that is a, that is a pull. That is the lowest score possible. So you get the Frank Jackson crazy unicorn in one direction and then you get the Alize Johnson. Well, I, well, I did not know that Alize Johnson played for the Wizards. Um, all right. Nuggets, Pacers, or the All-Star. 
So it's so the All Star is he had to have played for. He had to made the All Star game. Yes, made the All Star game as a member of the Pelicans slash New Orleans Hornets, and then you're looking for the guy to get the best score out of that. The guy that's played the fewest games for the Pelicans, as in total in his career. Okay, so it's only the Pelicans. Yes, so the fewest games for the Pelicans to make an All Star team and made an All Star team for the Pelicans. It's got to be Cousins, right? Well, you know what, Jake? Again, this is a comeback of epic proportions because you're right. It is DeMarcus Cousins. He played only only 65 games for the Pelicans, and that is the lowest amount of games that any Pelicans All-Star has ever played for the franchise. So two zeros and two almost 100s. This is an amazing scorecard. Let's go to the the Nuggets and the Pacers. Where do you want to go here? This is where I'm going to start to run into some trouble here being on the spot, and I don't know if I have one for either of these. I'm trying to think of who played... Wait, you could have used those. you could use the Alize Johnson for the Pacers, but that one's out now. Look, look, I used that one where I needed to use <laughs> that one. I think that one I don't want to change like at all. Um, now I'm struggling, and I'm sure we're on like the clock. Oh wait, no, no I got a Pacers. Solomon Hill uh, is the one that at least just jumps to mind. He's probably going to max out on both. It's going to be like the top score, like the worst score. Let's have a look. No, no, he's sort of in the middle, so that's not too bad. Okay. Solomon Hill. Gives you a score of forty-seven point three five. By the way, on the I didn't. I just look at this now. You, you mentioned Omri Caspi for Kings and Pelicans. How many games Omri Caspi played for the Pelicans? Not many because he got hurt. Right, he played one. Yeah, it was like not. Oh, that would have been a good one too. Yes, yeah, so it would have been another zero. That was the the lowest that anyone had played in that mix. So now we're at the Nuggets. Let's see. Can Jake get his third? We'll call them unicorns. Let's see, can he get his third unicorn? I'm going to check who the unicorn is. There is no way you're getting the unicorn for this one. Absolutely no chance. You might be able to get a, a low... A, well, there's a couple of quite interesting low ones here that you might get. There's no way you're getting the zero score on this one, though. It. Um, I'm so annoyed that I can't think... I can't think of one right now for it, and I'm, like, really racking my brain, and I know there's, like, a couple... Oh, oh, uh, I pick Birdman? You, you can pick Birdman, yeah. Yeah, that's what I want to do. I at least got to get something on the board, and that's at least a fun one to pick. All right, so Chris Anderson, unfortunately, gives you a score of 68.21. So that's another big one there. i tell you who the the lowest score there was a guy called called Aaron Williams who played one game for Denver, but there was a couple. Gary Clark, I thought you might have been able to get. Ian Clark. um, Isaiah Thomas was another good Uh one. Yeah, that would have been a good one. And there was someone else I saw who had a pretty interesting... Ian Clark played for Denver? Yeah, he played seven games for Denver. I don't even remember that. James Ennis was the other one. He played three games for Denver, which I don't remember him playing three games for Denver either. So there were a couple of really interesting low... low. Oh, Nate Robb as well. Two-game two Pelican legend, Nate, Nate Robinson. Oh, yeah. They called him the emergency break here because he's just like <laughs> ripped that when you need to stop and need some help. And Ak- Axel Tupan as well. Wow, some some interesting names there, Jake. I remember him too, yeah. Okay. yeah I, I remember Axel Tupan. <laughs> yeah, I did, deep, deep cuts. Man, if, if anyone's dropping an Axel Tupan, I, I question what they're doing. <laughs> Jake, tell us what's going on over at Locked On Pelicans at the moment. Yeah, we're doing What If Wednesdays on Locked On Pelicans. So what happens if the Pelicans win the title? Ne- the next one I'm going to do is what happens if Zion Williamson gets hurt and doesn't play the majority of the season and kind of looking towards how it could alter the future of the franchise and Look, like everything's in play with this team for whatever reason. So a lot to cover over there at Locked On Pelicans. Go and check out Locked On Pelicans with Jake. He does unbelievable work covering the Pelicans. And if you see him out and about in New Orleans, say hi, because I'm sure he'll be there with Ross Jackson as well. And you can talk Saints and Pelicans and everything going on in New Orleans. Jake, thanks again for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me on, Josh.
And that'll do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. And if you are here on YouTube, thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.